Hello and welcome to another episode of the Four Feathers Podcast. It's time to crack them and get caught up on the Hawks. Ah, cheers, Ryan. Ah, cheers, Tony. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Four Feathers Podcast. A little different, a uh, new voice leading this episode tonight. I am not Johnny Nani, but I am Ron Luce, and I am joined tonight by Tony Marchese. Tony, how are we doing, man? We're doing good, Ron. We're doing real well. Um, it's been a good day uh, for On Tap. We got we got a good site day. Uh, we've had some good things going on. We just brought on a bunch of new writers. Uh, one of those voices uh, were uh, people you've read lately, uh, Austin, Blackhawks D-Zone. Um, we've, uh, been, uh, seeing a lot of good content coming from him, Ron, uh, rescued some dogs today. Uh, so that, that happened. Uh, maybe we'll get a little story time later if we have time for it. And, uh, we're going to be recapping a Blackhawks playoff series, uh, that the Blackhawks won against the Minnesota wild back in 2013, Ron. I think it's an excellent topic that we're going to talk about tonight. And we've got some other stuff, uh, to sprinkle in there as well. So uh, why don't you uh, tell me how you're doing, Ron? I am doing pretty well, sir. I did not uh, rescue any dogs today, but I did uh, did have a pretty good day. I was off work today. I got to start my five-day weekend today, which was nice. Um, you know, I had a couple glasses of bourbon before we jumped on. I'm cracking a nice Ooh. cold bush light right now as we're, uh, as we're talking. You're, you're really getting into the Johnny Nani role here <laughs> i am well the bush the bush light is to channel johnny nani as all of you lovely listeners know that follow us uh religiously johnny nani big bush light guy uh couldn't be with us tonight he's enjoying a nice uh weekend away for the memorial day weekend uh he's up in northern wisconsin uh literally in the middle of nowhere because he's barely getting cell service so um we are here tonight to bring you a hawks rewind from 2013 as tony mentioned a series win, um, and we're going to do this after every series, not after every game. After every game would be a little crazy. We'd be on the mic every day for about two weeks, but um, we're going to bring this to you after every series win, and we're starting this one off with um, you know, Series 1, the opening round of 2013, um, and we will dive into each one of those games in a little bit, uh, but we're going to get to some news. There is some news to talk about, um, as well as what we like to call the on-tap housekeeping. We do want to remind you that Four Feathers is the official podcast of the uh, ONTAP Sportsnet for the Chicago Blackhawks. You can find us on the interwebs at www.ontapsportsnet.com. We are the best home for all of your literature, podcasting needs, wants, and desires about your favorite Chicago sports teams. We have great Blackhawks coverage, as you are listening to some of that right now. And we cover all the other teams in Chicago, too, Bears, Bulls, and both sides of town when it comes to baseball, Cubs, and White Sox. Catch us everywhere. You can find us on social media, at ONTAP Sportsnet. That's Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Don't forget to follow us and subscribe on YouTube. And uh, you know, be sure, again, to follow us and check in on all our great content at www.ontapsportsnet.com. The ONTAP Sports Network. Go ahead and check out what's on tap in Chicago sports. All right. Now that, was a, that was stuff. a mouthful. It was That's a mouthful there. I'm telling you, dude. I'm getting I'm getting almost robotic when it comes to that now. It just it just comes out. It's good. It's you know we got to let our listeners know where they can find all our great content because we do have a lot of great content. As you mentioned, Tony, it was good sight day. It's just on taps rolling right now. Even in a, in a time of no sports, we are still yes. doing well. We are still thriving, and that's that's good for our fans. That's good for us. It's good for everybody involved. So. Now, let's talk a little news. As you mentioned, um, before we jumped on, we discussed this very briefly, but 
uh, the players are going to be voting on the playoff proposal from the NHL, which would be seasons over as of wherever they finished. Uh, obviously, some teams played more games than others. But whatever the standings were as we finish, the top 12 from each conference would make the playoffs and essentially play kind of like a round or not a round robin, excuse me, uh, a best of five series, right? And then there would be some other, it, I think they would figure it out. I don't know if all the details have been shed on how that would work. But nonetheless, it would mean the Chicago Blackhawks make the playoffs, which is uh, borderline laughable. And, you know, it, not for necessarily bad reasons, but just how crazy, obviously, the year has been with everything happening around COVID-19 and the pandemic that is going on right now around us. So, Tony, I mean, right now, based on this proposal, and the players are going to vote on it, they would seed the Blackhawks against the Oilers as the opening round playoff matchup. So I guess I want to know what are your kind of initial reactions to that seeding matchup? Because uh, we don't see the Oilers a ton outside of, you know, the three games that we play them during the year. And maybe a little bit of some predictions of how do you think that series would go in a best of five? Yeah, initial reactions. Um, first off, just surprised that the Hawks are going to make the playoffs this year, number one. I mean, just for the sake of this show, we were we were doing the funeral for them, uh, Johnny and I, and and we were in the middle of fuel, uh, you know, processions, and out of nowhere, now all of a sudden, if we're gearing back up here to watch hockey, it's going to be playoff hockey, and I want to get to something too that's a little bit to the side of this round, and I'm going to pose this back to you when when you give your answers, but. Is this going to feel like playoff hockey in stadiums with no fans and kind of, is it gimmicky? I, I don't know. I don't know, Ron. I, I can't answer that question. It's something that I'm facing here, but I think it's going to be really eerie mm -hmm. watching playoff style hockey with no fans in the stadium. And I think some good things can come of this. Um, you're probably going to hear a lot of chirping on the ice, I would imagine. You're going to hear what the unfiltered game of hockey sounds like when you watch this. But um, initial reactions when I go to this, I think you're going to get a good matchup between the Hawks and the Oilers. You're, you're going to get two absolute stars in Patrick Kane and Connor McDavid. And both of these rosters have plenty of talent uh, to go out there and score some goals. And it's almost, Ron... It's almost a really big matchup for the NHL when you look at this. Um, their most marketable, uh, two of their most marketable athletes are going to be in this series. Mm -hmm. um, again, in Connor McDavid and Patrick Kane. Um, I, I think there might be a little um, you know, positioning there where they say, all right, how many teams are we going to expand this to and set the seedings up and what matchups do we get? Could have gone into the way that... Uh, they drew this proposal up, don't you think? Um, when you when you see though that matchup right there, that's dollars for the NHL. They know all eyes are going to be on this one. Obviously, too, Ron, though, uh, the, the big key factor here that I want to get to is I think this is wonderful, and I think it's wonderful for one reason. We get to evaluate Jeremy Carlton in a playoff series, mm. basically free of charge. Um, you know, there's there's already been the firing of John McDonough. Stan Bowman and Jeremy Colleton are there. And Jeremy Colleton, basically, like we talked about 
uh, on the show when McDonough was was uh, let go, and we Johnny and I got into the the longer topics of whether or not Jeremy Colleton will stay here or be removed and, and replaced once the dust settles. But this is a real grading opportunity for how Jeremy Colleton is able to manage his team through a playoff series, even be it a, a five game series. Yeah, this is a real this is a real test, and it basically comes, like I said, free of charge because you didn't earn this playoff spot this year. I don't think anybody's going to argue that one. If the season were to finish and they were to uh, just you know move on to uh, the Stanley Cup playoffs, the Hawks would not be included. So here is some some excellent, just excellent timing um, for there to be some sort of expanded playoffs because now you get to evaluate Jeremy Carlton if, if you were the new president of hockey operations for the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, and maybe that's maybe that's something that uh, isn't going to get discussed a lot, but I really think that that is a key part to this whole thing. So I'm really happy we're going to see this because we are going to get um, some desperate Blackhawks, some, some Blackhawks that are coming out here and know if we're going to start this thing back up, if we're going to risk playing, if we're going to get back on the ice, I don't want it to be for three games. Mm-hmm. So you're going to get some. You're going to get some very interesting hockey. You're going to get some desperate hockey, and I expect some high scoring hockey. These goalies have been cold, Ron. They have been basically uh, outside of just you know practicing with family or whatever. I don't even know if ice rinks, indoor ice rinks, are open at this point in time. But there is going to be uh, a different. Uh, free, more free-flowing style of hockey, in my opinion, especially couple that with the playoff atmosphere. You're going to see some track meets. You're going to see some guys getting winded. You're going to see a lot of goals go up. I think it's going to be very entertaining and awesome hockey to watch, regardless if there's fans in the stands or not. Yeah, I think I think you broke it down beautifully, right? There's there's so many variables that go into this, um, especially for a team like the Blackhawks, right? I mean, these teams, like you said, that were already going to be a part of the Stanley Clay- Cup playoff, you know, People kind of already know what you're getting with them, right? Teams like the St. Louis Blues, teams like the Vegas Golden Knights, specifically in the Western Conference. Teams like, you know, the Edmonton Oilers have had had an okay year. Um, I don't remember exactly where they were finishing in the playoffs, but they were high enough where they were probably going to get in, realistically, in the Pacific, especially because that was such a tight, you know, race of those teams where... Nobody was really dominant, but nobody was, like, awful. It was kind of a weird, they were all kind of like, ah, we're kind of good, we're kind of okay, you know, and they were just battling for position. But I agree with you, you know, a couple of the most marketable players in the game are in, in this series, you know. And you, if you even want to go past Kane and, and McDavid, you got Dreisaitl and Tapes. You know, you, mm-hmm. you've got Duncan you got Duncan Keith. Keith. <laughs> yeah, Corey Crawford. You know, there there's enough marketable names in that, in that series, absolutely. And, you know, I think it would be really interesting because – um, you know, it seemed like the Hawks played Edmonton well during the regular season when they actually didn't meet. You know, yep. it wasn't necessarily always a Hawks win. The Hawks did get, I know it specifically, you know, the first game of the season when they played, they had a win and they completely shut McDavid down. Probably the best team game the Hawks had, in my opinion, in the first 15 games of the season this year was against the Edmonton Oilers. Camp so, on McDavid is going to be very telling. I just want to slip that in there. Oh, absolutely. I, I and I think it would be you know, like you said. I think there would be a lot of track meets, and I think it would be very interesting to watch, especially because you know the Hawks really only have Corey Crawford. You know, we don't know what Malcolm Subban can do. He barely 
touch the ice in a Blackhawks uniform. I want to bring up another thing, and I'm sorry to interrupt. If if you are Stan Bowman and you knew what was going to happen this year and you had a crystal ball, would you trade Ramad Lehner at the deadline? Absolutely not. Nope. Not a chance. Not a chance in the world. I honestly think he shouldn't have done it at the deadline regardless because I think they should have been negotiating a contract with Lehner. Supposedly, through the weeds, There's there's been rumors that if Vegas offers him a contract, which sounds like it could happen, so they could have their 1A and 1B set up with Flurry and Laner, or if they were to buy out Flurry and keep Laner, it's sounding like $5 million is going to get the job done for four years, potentially, is what I've heard through the grapevine. So with that being said, why the hell the Hawks couldn't do that is beyond me, and I know we could do a whole episode on why they should have kept Laner. I still think they should have kept Laner. I think that was a very poorly done thing by Stan Bowman. I think, you know, Stan, as of late, and I say as of late in the last, you know, maybe, what, two to three years, has made a lot of good trades, right? We've talked about the Calvin DeHaan trade at length here on Four Feathers. We've talked about the Dylan Strom trade here at length. We've talked about some of these good moves that he's actually made, you know. Um, Then again, at the same time, he has made moves like the Yogi Haru Nylander trade. And I would argue that the Leonard trade was one of those. And here's the thing. If they were able to get a first-round pick and a high, highly touted prospect for Leonard, I would have felt a little better about it. Here's the problem. They didn't get that. You got a backup goaltender who had a sub-90 save percentage on a very good Vegas Golden Knights team who has a very good team defense structure. You got a admittedly middle-of-the-road prospect in Demon who, you know, the Hawks claimed they were so high on, but they saw a lot of them because he played with Mitchell at Denver. And you got a second round pick. That's it. And sure, I get it. He's a rental, whatever. But a rental goalie who was having as good of a season as Leonard was, I should have fetched a first round pick. I'm I'm dumbfounded that it didn't fetch more. I'm also, you know, if we want to continue bad trades. I think we were all pissed off that Gustafson only fetched a third because had they traded him in the offseason, he probably would have fetched a first. So we won't try to go too far down that road. I don't want to go down that rabbit hole because we do have some some good Blackhawks hockey to discuss, thank God. But I think it would be, you know, a very interesting series. And I, I think, you know, like you said, I think there's a lot of good things to watch. And it's interesting. So, you know, we'll obviously keep updated. Uh, we'll have writers available. That'll go out as soon as the players vote on it. We know what's going to happen. Um, and just a quick note to end on. Sounds like it would be in two cities. Vegas is one of the cities. Reportedly, Chicago might be the other. So what to make of that? I guess Ooh, we'll that, have to wait and see. That's interesting. Agreed. And, um, yeah, so a lot to, to talk about there. But we are here to talk about 2013 and that Hawks rewind with that series against the Minnesota wild. As we are titling this episode, we are going to wild out and we are going to talk winning Blackhawks hockey. So let's dive right into game one. Shall we? Uh, game one was a good one for the Blackhawks. It ended in, um, good old, you know, classic fashion for, you know, for example, it was a two, one victory in overtime, against the Minnesota Wild. So some highlights of that before we give some of our reactions. Uh, Nicholas Backstrom, the starting goaltender for the Minnesota Wild, was hurt in that game. That was a big, big deal because Backstrom actually had a pretty decent year for the Wild. Uh, Josh Harding then had to start in goal. Um, 
So that was huge. You know, a lot of people are like, ah, is Harding going to be able to stand up to the task? Well, we'll talk about that here in a little bit. Uh, Hosa, with the, the the first Hawks goal in that game from Kane, um, you know, we'll, we'll talk more at length about Haas, especially Tony will, but he had an excellent series. Crawford had a very, very, very good game. He locked it down after allowing an early goal. And then we got the Bickle game-winning goal in overtime. Uh, the Oduya flip pass to Stahlberg that ultimately set up the nice forehand backhand for Brian Bickle to win it in overtime. So, Tony, you know, give me some reactions, you know, maybe even some memories that you have from this game one because this was a very memorable game. Yeah, I mean, dude, uh, the Hawks were so dominant during this season. Uh, coming into game one, I, I feel like – uh, I just remember being so confident coming into this series. Like the Minnesota Wild series, for some reason, Ron, to me, uh, throughout all the cup runs, always just felt like they were going to be a cakewalk to me. I don't know what it is. Just for those five years, man, if the Wild were on uh, the schedule in the playoffs, it was just how are we going to dominate them now? And game one was was it was close it was very close but you knew that the hawks were going to come out on top one way or the other um and this is you know the the emergence of brian bickle in this series um you know just just for the 2013 team i think is really important uh that game winning goal the confidence that instills in, in brian bickle uh here in, in in just game one and then uh you said hosa i mean it would i would man i would be remiss if i didn't mention you know, Marion Hosa's impact. Uh, and it starts early on in this series uh, with the first goal to open it up. Um, man, I, I just, I miss these days with Marion Hosa and his ability to just take over a series, to t- just take over a game that can set the tone for a series. And, um, you know, him getting the, the Hawks started just, alludes back to some of the leadership qualities that that Marion Hosa had for this team and um god I mean this this was this was the start of this run man this was the start of the run it was a great game Ronnie any memories from you yeah I mean I I I was you know watching that game and, and just watching all of the wins you know that they've been replaying now over the last four days on NBC Sports Chicago you know, it just I, I gain appreciation for some of the guys that were role players on that team and how much I miss them. And a guy that we're going to be able to talk about at length when we talk start talking game two, but like a Michael Froelich or a Victor Stahlberg, I think is a great example. I miss that speed. You know, I, I almost think of Victor Stahlberg as the Vinny Hinostroza who actually was able to put it together with his speed and wasn't just out of control. Because that's kind of the player Stahlberg was. He was that, you know that just weapon as a third line winger where he had that speed and he'd give you 35 to 40 points in the season. I mean, he was a nice player. I enjoyed watching Victor Stahlberg. I actually have a Stahlberg jersey somewhere that I'm going to have to break out um, for this cup run of these games and I'll, uh, I'll wear it for uh, the next Four Feathers episode. But, you know, it, it was so cool seeing that and obviously the Bickle game-winning goal. I mean, this playoff run for him was magical. And, and, and I, I want to go on record in saying that Historically, I think I gave off the impression that I hated Brian Bickle. And, you know, really I hated his contract. And the only reason I hated his contract is because he got sick and he was never the same player again. And it became a burden that ended up being the reason the Hawks lose to Votera Vinden eventually. But, you know, what they paid for was this Brian Bickle. And if this Brian Bickle, if he was able to stay healthy, 
he was going to be worth every bit of that $4 million. He was going to be playing probably in the top six in some capacity. Even if he was playing on the third line, you have that depth across three lines now all of a sudden with him playing down there. And he showed it. He had the skill, even though he was a big, you know, you know, huh, type player who would he hit was a guys. he was he's the power he's a power forward and, and hit and I think you know Marion Hosa deserves all the credit in the world for being that two way power forward type player Ron but Brian Bickle was that next level power forward a guy that you can't mess with but also has the talent to to get to the dirty areas to get to the front of the net wreak some havoc mm-hmm. and and just find goals man he found goals in, in this 2013 run he he did not they, they didn't just show up on his stick. He he was a hard worker that found rebounds, that found the open puck, that was able to use the body to create those those chances. And the Hawks haven't had that guy since Brian Bickle. No, they really haven't. And I'll tell you what, you know, the, the and then that kind of that next class, I would say behind guys like Hosa and Bickle, you really started to see the evolution of Saad, right? And how he started becoming kind of that power forward because he was learning from a guy like Marion Hosa playing on the same line with him and Taves. And they were starting to create that line that we recall in 2014 then, obviously they came short in the Western Conference Finals, but that became arguably the best line in hockey at times during that 2013-14 season. And even in that playoff run when they ultimately lost to the Kings. So, you know, it, it was it's kind of fun reliving that, right? You know, reliving Saad mm-hmm. kind of becoming into his own. Reliving how good Bickle was. Reliving that that third line, which, you know, I think was very underappreciated in Shaw, Bickle, and Stahlberg. How, reliving the fact that Michael Froelich, who was a top six player in Florida, was a fourth line wing with the Hawks that year. You know what I mean? Yep. It's just so much in that game one that was so much fun. And you know what? I want to give a quick quick credit to the opposing opposing team. Josh Harding had a really good series if you look back on it. And it started in that game one. He faced a lot of shots. He kept Minnesota in a lot of those games. And for a guy who was really just kind of again having to get thrown in because Backstrom was injured and you know didn't probably get to play as much of a season as he would have liked if going into a playoff run. But he did an excellent job for the Wild, so I want to give credit where credit is due. But nonetheless, the Hawks come away with that 2-1 overtime win in Game 1, and that kind of really set the stage. Because then in Game 2, we had a lot of fun. We had two two two-goal performances in Game 2. Game 2 was a 5-2 win over the Minnesota Wild. Michael Froelich had two goals, one of those coming shorthanded. Both kind of dirty area goals. One was, uh, you know, on that shorthanded goal was one that just happened to come out right in front of the net and he put it five hole on, on Harding. The other one, he was just going balls to the walls of the net. A blocked Shaw slap shot ultimately found its way to him and he put it over Harding's glove uh, for that goal. And then Patrick Sharp had a nice goal early, kind of in a dirty area. Made an excellent play, though, to get it from behind the goal line to the front there. And then that Kane no-look pass where Sharp literally just had to tap it into a wide open net was absolutely disgusting. As our boy Johnny Nani would say, make it nasty, Patrick Kane. Um, You could find that video on the Four Feathers uh, Twitter page as well. But, I mean, just what a game, right? You know, such a great 5-2 win to give the Hawks a 2-0 advantage against the Minnesota Wild. Yeah, Ron, uh, the Michael Froelich stuff uh, really sticks out to me in this one. Um, he, you brought it up, uh, top line player for Florida, fourth liner for the Blackhawks, just amazing. The depth that was on this team. I think that really sticks out more than anything. Um, you know, God, I think a player like Michael Froelich, if you remove the, 
Marion Hosas and the Patrick Canes of the world. Um, it, it just a solid hockey player, man. A, a, he, he knew how to score some goals. Um, he was also very useful on the PK. He was just an all-around good hockey player. Uh, you're talking about a team that, that had depth guys, um, not only in him, but but some others. Um, that just could be, you know, top six forwards anywhere across the league. And it just, man, it was the perfect storm. It was the perfect storm. I know a lot of people argue about which, which cup team would be, uh, the ultimate, uh, champion amongst the three. Uh, but you know, you add a guy like Michael for I think if you're playing him up against the, uh, the 2010 or 2015 team, uh, Michael for is a standout here for the 2013 team. Yeah, absolutely. I agree 100%. And I agree. You know, they really had so much depth. And it's funny because this team's depth came at the wings, right? You know, you figure that first line set of wings was Saad and Hosa. Your second line wings was Sharp and Kane. Your third line was Bickle and Stahlberg. And your fourth line was a combination of Michael Frolik as well as guys like Bolig, Carcillo, and then ultimately Brand, um, our boy Dave Boland when he eventually was able to come back Um after some injuries that he ended up experiencing. So they had tons of wing depth during this cup run, but their center depth admittedly was dog shit. And because besides Jonathan Taves, who was, you know, still in prime Jonathan Taves, and he really still is, but, you know, obviously a couple years younger, he still had a little, you know, a little extra juice in him. But you figure that second line, you know, center, Michael Hanzus was a deadline acquisition. You know, they had been trying Patrick Sharp at center during that season. They were trying to find a second-line center because they didn't really have one. They got Hanzus to fill in and just be a cog to win face-offs and play with guys like Kane and Sharp. Shaw was a natural winger, and we've seen that recently in his return to Chicago. He plays the wing, but he was playing center as that third-line center. And then Marcus Kruger, this is really the, the I think, you know, when people started to appreciate the emergence of Marcus Kruger and how good of a fourth-line center he really was. And I think it's funny, just a quick note, you know, we don't have to dig deep into this, but he was on that second power play unit. Marcus Kruger was on the power play unit that year, which I think is funny. And it really, his main job was to go out there and win the faceoff so they could have positive possession because he was out there with guys like Saad and, um, at times, guys like Bickle. So... You know, it's just, it's so funny to think that, you know, because of the lack of their center depth, he was out there a lot of times on that power play. But nonetheless, an absolutely fantastic game from the Hawks in game two. Um, game three, we're not going to talk about a whole lot because it was a 3-2 overtime loss. They did get it to overtime. However, um, you know, as our, our great Johnny Nani did mention uh, in our notes for this evening, Hawks always lose game threes. It's a theme for Q teams for whatever forsaken reason. Um, it just is what it is, what it is. So they drop game three to the wild, but in game I'm not four, superstitious. I'm just a little stitious, just a little stitious. They always lose game three and it's okay because in game four, Crow shut the door with a three Oh shutout win two goals again from Patrick Sharp, who was absolutely dominant in this series. And we'll touch on that a little bit later when we get to dive into a little bit deeper on these notable performances from this series. And then Bickle was able to cap that off with the third period goal. I mean, I think this is the I think this is a perfect opportunity recapping game four for us to really appreciate Corey Crawford and what he was in that 2013 Cup run. Yeah, I mean Corey Crawford um, obviously uh, did not get the first Cup with the Blackhawks, but on his first uh, run towards the Cup, I mean you're talking about a game four. You're just coming off of an overtime loss, Ron, in game three. Um, obviously. Uh, 
the first two games you you hold the the wild to three goals um and then you come out there and you've got them to two goals again i think if you if you're a goalie and uh you get through three periods only giving up two goals in the nhl that's that's pretty damn good ron um but either way, that overtime loss stings. You come out there and you you pitch a shutout uh, in game four. That's that's some elite level goaltending, in my opinion, Ron. I don't know about you. Yeah, I mean, just honestly, I think this was the one year where the the con Smythe really could have gone to to one or two. You know, there was two guys that were deserving of the Conn Smythe that year because I think about that 2010 team and Taves was absolutely deserving of it. He was fantastic in that playoff run. And then I think that 2015 Cup and Duncan Keith was absolutely sensational. I mean, he proved why he's a two-time Norris Trophy winner. But man, oh man, I know Kaner won that Conn Smythe, but a lot of people, even Kane, I believe, if I remember correctly, mentioned Crow probably should have gotten that Conn Smythe because he was absolutely sensational. You know, you think about some of the great cup runs in just NHL history in general. I think back to the 2004 Tampa Bay Lightning when Nikolai Hobby Bullen was the Bullen wall and really spirited and pirated them to that, you know, that Stanley Cup win. Corey Crawford was kind of that pillar for the Blackhawks in this 2013 run. And I, I agree with everything you said, man. He was just absolutely sensational. You know, they needed him after that, that game three loss, and they were able to come back and give it to him. Um, you know, with two great goals from Patrick Sharp and obviously the, the third period tally then from Bickle to cap off that 3-0 win. And, uh, you know, they would have an excellent opportunity then because in Game 5, like you said, your man, your favorite player, Tony Marchese, 5-1 win for the Blackhawks, two of those goals coming from the demigod himself, number 81, Marion Hossa, uh, with the other goals coming from Patrick Sharp, which should be no surprise at this point because Sharp had an absolutely dominant series uh, but Kruger and Shaw, so a couple of bottom six guys contributing to the other scoring in a big 5-1 win, and they knock out the Minnesota Wild um, and get to move on to the next round where they would inevitably face off with the Detroit Red Wings the last time, if I remember correctly, in the playoffs that the Blackhawks actually met the Detroit Red Wings. So uh, a pretty historic series, and obviously you'll get to hear about that on our next episode. But until then, Tony, I want to hear your thoughts about that last game, and then we can get into some of these notable performances across the entire series. Marion Hosa, two goals in a playoff series. There is, or two goals in a playoff game. There is not a better game for me to watch. I mean, that's just, that's just, oh, that's what I live for, Ron. That's what I live for, man. Marion Hosa has been my favorite player uh, since before he was with the Hawks, man. And and just seeing him take over the series and you know basically bookmark it in game one. And game five, um, getting the Hawks, you know, on the board and in, in, in a victory here. Uh, just no better way to end the series. And then you mentioned the depth scoring, Kruger, Shaw, Sharp, and Sharp had such a hell of a series. If I'm giving out the uh, the game puck or series puck, it's got to go to I think Patrick Sharp here. I mean, two goals in two games, and then another another one to. Uh, put it over the top in, in, in game five just a hell of a series for uh, another guy I think that doesn't get talked about enough in the in the Blackhawks uh, cup runs Patrick Sharp he kind of seems to fall somewhere below the uh, Kane Taves Keith Seabrook Hosa Crawford crowd 
um, Patrick Sharp. But um, just just a hell of a series, a hell of a victory, a statement victory uh, to close it out with a 5-1 win. And like I said when we lead it into this, the Minnesota Wild, never a problem for the Blackhawks in a playoff series. Never a problem. So um, that's that. Yeah, absolutely. I agree with you 100%. They were never an issue uh, for this Blackhawks team, and I agree with you 100%. Patrick Sharp had a rough season that year. I think a lot of people forget that. He only played 28 games of the 48 in the you know, lockout-shortened season, and, and all of that was attributed to injury. But even in those 28 games, he still had 20 points, which was still a very respectable number, um, and six goals. That first playoff series alone, he nearly matched his entire season goal total like you said with those five goals and yeah I agree I think he was absolutely the player of that series but a lot of really good you know storylines and and I think our our listeners have been able to recall those storylines as we've kind of you know feathered our way through each of these games the dominance of Patrick Sharp and agreed I think he he is just as important to the cup wins as every single one of those guys that you mentioned, Marion Hosa, Nicholas Jalmerson. I think he and Nicholas Jalmerson are two of the like forgotten figures of these cup runs because they were just as important as any you know any of the next guys. It just so happens that they were the ones moved out of town first when cap issues started to strike after that 2015 cup. Nonetheless, this was also the beginning of the Brian Bickle breakout. I think that was a huge part of it as well, right? Getting to see you know, him kind of start coming into his own of, of really living up to what he would ultimately be rewarded with after the season in that 4 by 4 contract. And yes, agreed, Jesus, Marion Hosa, Demigod himself was dominant this series. Like you said, he can take over a series. He can take over a game in the playoffs. He was so good. And then, yes, Crow holding strong. Crow showing why he made every case imaginable to be the Conn Smythe winner in 2013. Um, and in this series, there was a lot of that. And, you know, there was there was moments that this Blackhawks team had kind of some some, you know, really bad follies on defense. It just inevitably happens. Yep. Right. Um, every team has that problem. But Crow stood absolutely strong uh, during this entire series. So, I mean, it was an excellent series. I think we all enjoyed rewatching these games. I know I sure did. Uh, it, just so many memorable players and so much just fun, right? I mean, we talk about it all the time. Winning, winning hockey is cool and tough, and it's just fun yes, to it watch. is. Yes, fun it is. to watch. So, getting to see these this team again do what they did against the Minnesota Wild, which was always kind of the little brother to them when it came to playoffs, first rounds, um, over that course of those Cup years, uh, it's 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 pleasant to rewatch that and see them go out on top. Um, and I think we've we touched on a lot of great points, and, and I'll tell you what, Tony, I'm really looking forward to when we get to talk about some Detroit Red Wings, Detroit sucks type yes. hockey in this next series, which, you know, we kind of touched on on our last four feathers, you know, there was a lot of Hawks fans that were out there that were very nervous uh, after game, you know, game four of that series when they were down three to one, but we all know what ends up happening and you'll you'll get to hear all of it again as we recap that. Um, once those games are concluded with their broadcasting on the NBC Sports Chicago channel, uh, whichever cable provider you may have. Tony, uh, any you know last thoughts and, and things we maybe want to round out with tonight, um, you know, 2013-related or even current circumstance-related uh, that you want to talk about real quick before we get out of here? No, I think uh, just outside of the notable performances from – Marion Hosa, Brian Bickle's breakout, the dominance from Sharp, and uh, Crow holding strong that uh, 
that we kind of mentioned throughout this thing. I think it's just important to uh, just take this time uh, where this is the only kind of hockey you're getting fed right before we get into a an actual playoff series, as it seems like we will be getting um, the players, like we mentioned, voting on the start of the 2014 playoff uh, tournament, so to speak. Um, take the time and just appreciate this good hockey because, I mean, <laughs> there's never really an opportunity to go back and watch these games in succession, um, you know, with, with all the sports that are going on. And I'm sure some of the people who listen to the show have gone back and watched some of these games and, and most notably the Cups, uh, the actual Cup series. But these early round playoff games, the the overtimes, the just the the way you can di- dissect these games right now is a lot different than when you were taking them in the first time. So I think it's definitely valuable uh, to watch these if if you're craving some hockey. This is a perfect opportunity to do so um, and and watch these games in a different light. Obviously, you know the outcome going in, uh, but uh, just being able to watch how the Blackhawks operated and, and some of the different. Uh, things that they were able to do with the amount of talent that they had on those rosters is incredible. Um, and I think you can appreciate it in a different light. I know you have, Ron. I know I have. I think everybody around here at Four Feathers uh, has been able to, uh, I think, take these games in in that way. And I think that that's just awesome. Uh, circling back, uh, going back to uh, the, the hockey resumption, um, obviously I am all, all for this. I want to be able to finish this season out. Um, and, and hopefully, uh, the St. Louis blues do not remain Stanley cup champions, Ron. I think that's what's most important here, but I'm not going to sit here and say that I feel that the Hawks have a shot, Ron. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to sit here and say, you know, it's, it's, it's cup or bust at this point in time. But like I, like I mentioned earlier, this is a great time to evaluate, how Jeremy Carlton uh, can manage a team in a playoff series. I think that the Hawks can make some noise and get through a best of five series against the Oilers. I really honestly do. Um, I think some things can fall their way and it, it's, it's hockey. And like I mentioned earlier, um, it's going to be a really interesting uh, brand of hockey that's going to be played here when everything resumes, depending on how much time these teams have to prepare. Um, but that said, um, I'm, I'm not expecting the Hawks to make it all the way to the cup, but how magical would it be, Ron, for one second, let's dream, how magical would it be that the last two shortened seasons, as we're talking about 2013, and we come here and look in the, into uh, the 2020 year, that the last two shortened seasons, the Hawks, in very different fashions, were able to secure a Stanley Cup, uh, coming from the bottom, basically, and coming from the top. It would be Quite the interesting story, wouldn't it? Uh, it would be something that they create a ten-part document documentary series on ESPN about, similar to what was just the last dance. But I, I, yeah, I agree. I think a lot of interesting things, you know, happening right now between both the 2013 Hawks rewind and current circumstances. We could have real playoff live hockey, and you know, and just to kind of echo a lot of things you said, it's a it's a very good opportunity for guys that are in contract years. Um, for coaches that are in contract years, Jerry Carlton's not in the contract year, but there's a chance the new regime clears house. So, you know, they steal a series or two and a couple guys like a Dominic Kubalik or, um, you know, some of these other guys that are due new contracts and Dylan Strom have really good series. They could be in for a nice payday. 
And there, there's a lot on the line if, if hockey does resume. And, and then going back to the 2013 Hawks rewind, you, you put it perfectly. It's just so enjoyable to watch these games. You know what's going to happen. So you can just take in and, and you're, you're more observing than you are watching. You're, you're analyzing play. You're, you're, you're watching how certain players do things. And you're kind of spotlighting players on your own just because you want to see what they did on that certain shift or whatnot. So so many great things to take in. And, and we agree, you, you should watch these games. They're fun. They're at 4 o'clock every day. Let's be honest, even if you are working from home like Tony and I both are, you know, you can turn them on while you're, you're plugging away on the computer and just kind of have them even as background noise. And you can look up every once in a while and really take in a couple of great, 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 great games that the Blackhawks have played in their history. And uh, yeah, I mean, I think that's a great way for us to wrap it up tonight, folks. So thank you again once once and always for joining us at the Four Feathers podcast. This was a fun episode uh, Tony and I here recording after the completion of the Game 5 broadcast against the Minnesota Wild. Blackhawks do beat the Wild in 5, a 4-1 to one series tally, and they will move on to face the Detroit Red Wings in the 2013 Stanley Cup playoffs. Uh, we look forward to catching you after those games have uh, concluded. It will probably be Tony and myself, and there's a very good opportunity. You will hear from Johnny Nani himself, and we can't wait to have him back. Um, and just a quick going out note, I think this is a perfect opportunity to plug this in. A quick thank you to all of those that have served, will serve, and do currently serve as we approach this Memorial Day weekend. Uh, this is a time to really appreciate you know, what People that sacrifice for this country and, and even tying it into what's going on now with the pandemic, the nurses, the first responders that are sacrificing themselves and putting themselves out on the line for everybody else and the greater good. Uh, we greatly appreciate it because without that, we would not have Four Feathers Podcast. We would not have Blackhawks hockey and we would not have the things that we get to enjoy here um, in the United States of America. So thank you to all of our military, our first responders, our nurses and everybody out there. Enjoy this Memorial Day weekend and be safe. And, Tony, I think we should get out of here the only way we know how to, my guy. Let's go, Hawks. Let's go, Hawks. Mm -hmm.